This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. I'll be in Hosea chapter 2. I'm going to be in verses 14 through 20. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for her them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice. In steadfast love and in mercy, I betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, just real quick before I get jumping in too far here, it's good to have the Allens with us, our church planters from Wabash, along with, of course, the Trotters. Uh, so thank you guys for coming, Keith and uh, Tanya. And uh, seven Sundays from today, right, is going to be launch Sunday down in Wabash. Seven Sundays. So I'll praise God, right? Launching a church seven Sundays from today. That's exciting. You guys are mildly excited about that. That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> Speaking of uh, a lack of excitement, is Christmas the same for you now as it was when you were like eight? I mean, when you're eight years old, you're like, you can't wait to wake up and run downstairs and find whatever the thing is. And just that, that awe and that excitement was there. But now it's just not the same. It's true for a lot of areas of life that the wonder and excitement and magic that used to be there just isn't there anymore. Like my kids don't get near as excited about a trip to Disneyland as they would have when they were 10 years old. Now, I do because of Galaxy's Edge, which is Star Wars. One reference, a sermon is what the uh, pastors have, the elders have allowed me. So there you go. Uh, but anyway, that, 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 awe, that awe and that wonder, that excitement just kind of wanes. Because life happens. Things occur that just make you believe somewhere along the way that if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. Especially the things like we really, really want. The things that really go down deep. And I really wish, but we just have no real hope, real excitement that's here. So here's, here's what I want to do today. I want to restore some of that. Because here's, here's the problem. That's the way oftentimes we view the love of God. It's just too good to be true. Somewhere along the way, we've lost that wonder, that awe, that magic about the fact that our God loves us as much as he loves us. And chances are, man, this week you lived a lot of life and you functioned in a way. And I'm wondering if that way was loved by God and in wonder and awe of his love for you. Because I'm telling you this morning, listen, 
God loves you regardless. God loves you in spite of. God loves you even though. God loves you through it all. And his love is not based on your performance. It's based only on him. So to really help us with this, and I want to I kind of attack it this way, I want to have a big prayer today. So we normally have a big idea. Today we're going to have a big prayer. And here's the big prayer I want you to write down. God, help me believe deeply in your love for me. So God, help me believe deeply in your love for me. Now, I need to spend some time here because last week, here's your sermon from last week. This is the big idea that we built together throughout the course of the sermon. It was this, a heinous sin comes from heart desire uh, that leads to idolatry and ends in despair. Heinous sins come from heart desires that lead to idolatry and despair. Yeah, that's a real wonderful, happy sermon. Now, we brought it back to the table, brought it back to the communion, the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but mostly we just talked about our sin. And, and, and it's easy to, to, to feel disgusting. It's easy to feel sinful. And, and um, it's really easy to believe you don't deserve God's love. And I would argue with you if I had an argument, but I don't. So the attack I'm going to have today is just kind of opposite of what the church in America is doing today. The church in America wants to tell you, no, you really do deserve to be loved. Lord, help me believe. I just want to believe I'm someone worth dying for. But, 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 but the good news is even better than that. God doesn't love you because somehow you really truly deserve to be loved. God loves you even though you don't. The good news is vastly better. His love isn't based on you at all. It's based on him, and that means it's never changing and endless and wonderful. And today, I, mean, I just want to talk about the incredible love of God from the book of Hosea. So I'm going to give you three truths. Here's truth number one. Write it down. God's love is faithful even when our love is faithless. God's love is faithful even when our love is faithless. Now, to get everybody started this again, I want to jump back into chapter 1. As I mentioned uh, last week, I mentioned it again. When uh, the Hebrew writers write, they often write cyclically. And so what you'll see is this kind of pattern that repeats throughout the book of Hosea. But I want you to see that pattern again. So we're going to jump back into Hosea 1, verse number 2, and kind of catch it here. And we'll see it several times as we go through the sermon today. But here's uh, chapter 1, verse number 2, which says this. Uh, When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I'll put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and this is the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son, and the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Pause there for a minute so you see what's going on. The sin of Israel whoredom, the words that are harsh words that are used, the heinous sin reveal, and then God's wrath coming as a result of all of that. You see that happening. But then you have something really, really powerful. Because God steps in. 
God does something amazing. And what you see in verse number 10 is a very powerful word. Yet. Verse number 9, and I am not their God. They're not my people. I'm not their God. And then you got yet. Yet. The Bible puts it this way in other parts. It says, but God. In fact, uh, I have this picture in the counseling room, not this exact one, because I forgot to take a picture of the exact one before I left. So I just found one like it on the internet and use that picture. But anyway, uh, this is uh, on the counseling room. When you walk in, this is on one of the shelves, in the bookshelves. You'll see this. It says, but God. Because coming from a place, let me show where it's coming from. Here's Ephesians chapter 1, which says this. Check this out. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath with the rest of mankind. And then the next verse says, read it with me. But God, you see it? Being, I'll finish it now. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. But God, God steps in. And God does something amazing. And this is the story of the Bible. Our failure, man's failure over and over. But God, this is your story. You were lost in your sin. But someone came. For me, it was my Sunday school teacher, Brian Peters. I was 12 years old. I remember coming up to him after a service on Sunday and saying, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. And Brian took me aside and share the gospel with me, and I believed. You see, I was, I was lost in my sin, but God. And you have that story. But here, here's the thing. We leave that story in the rearview mirror. And what you forget is that God still shows up for you. This week when you struggle, this week when you fail, Yeah, you fail, but God. So what does God do? God steps in. I want you to see this. God steps in and keeps his promises. And this is where we see this in verse number 10. So now we're in one uh, verse number 10. So I have the yet. And now here it says this. Yet the number of the children of Israel should be like the sand of the sea and cannot be measured or numbered. I'm going to stop there. So, So this is alluding back to a promise that God had made to Abraham. And so here it is. This is Abraham. 13, 16, the first time it was made, where God said this, he said, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Okay, so he made a promise. Abraham, your children, your heritage are going to be innumerable. He repeats that promise in Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is when Abraham takes his son Isaac to sacrifice him, and God stops him at the last minute. And then you see this in that uh, uh, passage. Uh, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself, do you see it, church? By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the sand on the 
Caesar. Same promise. Because here's the thing about our God. He always keeps his promises. Always, 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 always. And God's people said, always. Well, always. You'll, you'll see my pattern as we go along. Always. Is someone trying to shoot me? Because, I, you know, you're, you're missing every time. So, uh. All right, God always, always, always keeps his promises because of this. Check this out. Because his love is unconditional. Because his love is unconditional. Now, here's the problem. Not everybody in our life has kept promises well. Truth? Hey, Dad, can we go to the beach tomorrow? Yeah, I think that'd be fine. Promise? Promise, Dad? Yeah, 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 I promise. And you get up the next day, and it's raining. And you're mad at your dad like, like he made that happen. Come on, Maddie Grace. No, anyway, uh, just kidding. So this, this is like the, the, the pattern, and, and, and we see that time and time again. And lots of people probably let you down on their promises. Bob, if you keep working so hard, you're going to get that promotion only for someone else to get it. And then some of you have really felt a broken promise. With this ring, ivy, wed, to love and to cherish, to have and to hold in sickness and in health, say it, to death do us part. But it didn't quite go that way. And because of the disappointments you've experienced in your life, when you look at the promises of God, it's hard to believe they're actually going to happen. But can I remind you, our God is a God who always, what's the word again? Always keeps his promises. You know, what are some of the promises in your life that you're so thankful God's going to keep? I have several that are just precious to me. And Court and I were talking about this. We were driving in this morning. And I'm like, babe, what's some of the promises that you love? And I, I, my mind goes to Philippians 1.16. Now, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Really thankful for that because I got a long way to go. Can I get a witness? Don't you say Amen. But we all do. We've got a long way to go. And I'm glad God's finishing the work in me. Uh, Courtney shared with me a couple. She loved the, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And one of her favorite promises in the Bible is uh, uh, 1 Peter 5.10, which says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace will strengthen you and establish you. And yeah, you're suffering now, but God's coming. God's coming. He's going to show up. He's going to be there for you. Take heart. Great promise. I'm so glad that God's promises are there, and I'm so glad they're based upon his unconditional love. Now, are there conditional promises in the Bible? That, for sure there are, without a doubt. There are some promises in the Bible that are conditional. Uh, like Second Chronicles seven fourteen is one of the most common ones that we see today. Uh, this is God talking to Israel, by the way, not God talking to America, but God talking to Israel, uh, where he said this, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. So you have this if... My people will do such and such, then I'm going to do such and such. So we see this condition in the Bible. I think we see that, and we assume, well, that's all God then. All God is conditional. And if I don't measure up, if I don't live this week like I'm supposed to, if I screw it up somehow, then God's not really going to love me. And I want to share to you, that's not the love of God. Some promises are conditional. God's love is not not conditional. It is completely, 100% unconditional. 
In fact, check this promise out from 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Would you read this with me? If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Isn't that awesome? God is always going to show up for you and love you, even when you are faithless. Why? Because he can't deny himself. Do you know that when you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, you become a child of God. You become part of his family. In fact, this is John 1, 12. It's all who received him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become the church children of God. Do you see how this matches our text? Take a look at Hosea 1, 10, uh, where again, he says in the verse nine, for you are not my people. I'm not your God yet, but God, the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. It shall be said to them, children of the living God. It's a very important illustration because I think if you're a parent this morning, you get it. Now, these are my babies, uh, Grant and Landon and Maddie Grace, and uh, I love them. I, I can't imagine them needing me and me denying help if it was in my uh, ability to give it to them. What could they do to make me not love them? Dad, um, I'm in jail. Don't worry, Maddie Grace, I'll come get you out. (laughs) I had to pick the least likely one, okay? You just had to do that. Uh, Would anything stop you? Would anything stop you if your kids needed it? And you could do it, you could provide it. Would anything stop you from being there and helping them and loving them? Nothing would, nothing would. Now, is that how you live life this week? Believing it. So what if today today is, oh yeah, Sunday. I knew that. So just think back, like, okay, Monday, Tuesday. How about Wednesday morning? Let's pick Wednesday morning. You woke up Wednesday morning, and eventually your mind lands on God, I hope. And what did you imagine God to be? Do you know that A.W. Tozer said, and I believe it strongly, the most important thing about you is what you believe in your heart about God. I'm going to say it again. The most important thing about you is what you believe in your heart about God. Not what you know should be true, but how you function in your heart, how you actually live, and how you actually view God. So how do you view him? Do you view him as a God with this kind of love? See, I'm not making this up. Last week I was really mean, and I told you all about your sin, but this week I get to be just talk about God's love. And it's so very good, and he loves you. I want you to function in it. God's love is faithful, even when we are faithless. Write this down as well. God's love is pursuing, even when we are disgusting. God's love is pursuing, even when we are disgusting. So again, the physical nature, we kind of walked through a chapter one a little bit. I want to come back now to chapter two, and I want you to see this. So the first part of chapter two, again, is that same pattern again of, okay, you were unfaithful to me, punishment is coming. So the same pattern you see. And, and But when you get to verse 14, now it turns again back to God's love and mercy. And that's our focus today. So we're actually going to spend some time looking at this carefully. And here's verse number 14, chapter 14, verse number one. This is really, really cool. Chapter 14, verse number one says this, 
therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. The word allure it literally means to woo. So, so, so imagine when you ask, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to win your honey, you're, you're trying to win her, and you knew you're, you wanted to marry her, and, and, and so the things that you said to her then, probably not the same as, you know, last week, but back then, the things that you would say to her and how you would talk to her were, baby, you look so good, and, and I love you so much, and you're so wonderful, and all these alluring words and tender words, and, and that's the idea, because God is, is chasing after us. God is uh, courting us. God is after us. In fact, take a look at this now. We're going to jump to chapter 3, verse number 1. This is awesome. Look at this. Chapter 3, verse number 1 says this. And this is now Hosea speaking in the first person. He says, And the Lord said to me, Hosea, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to uh, other gods and love um, hostess Twinkies, you could say, instead of raisin cake. Same idea, just frivolous nothing. It's probably not good for you anyway. And probably not even like real food. It's probably just like chemicals. Anyway, all I have to say, the whole point though is go again, go again. God telling Hosea, chase after her. Go find her. She's with another man again. She's back to her whoring ways again. Go and rescue her. Go find her. And that's what God does. See, we get this image that maybe if I can just get cleaned up enough, then God's going to love me. And that'd be amazing, right? If God would love us if we, because he shouldn't love us at all. But if we got cleaned up, then God would love us. But you know what's even better than that? When we are in the gutter, that's when Jesus comes. He taught this way. This is from Luke chapter 15. And look at this. Now the tax collectors and sinners who were drawing near to hear him can we read that again? Who? The church, tax collectors, and the sinners. This, this were, these were the, the um, traitors of Israel. These were the prostitutes. These were the, the, the down-and-out, disgusting, sinful people, but they were drawn to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. May that be said of us. So he told them a parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, look at the picture here. He lays it on his shoulders. What church? Rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents over the 99 righteous people who need no repentance. This is true of your salvation, but it's also true of you this week. That when you see your sin and you confess your sin, what does the Father do? What does Jesus do? What does heaven do? It rejoices. And where did he find us? Off. Wandering. In the gutter. Attractive? No, not at all. Disgusting. It's not how we work, man. It's not how we work. How many of you were attracted to your spouse before you married them? Go ahead and raise your hand. You're attracted. You better raise your hand. Every man in this church better have that. So uh, this is Courtney, and uh, uh, when she was in college, and we were freshmen in college, 
And uh, I remember very clearly looking, doing the whole double take thing, like I'm in, and I'm like, dang, look at that redhead over there. Yeah, I like redheads. So and then we started dating, and uh, of course she dated me. I mean, look at my shirt, and that picture is just glorious. <laughs> if you think that's bad, check out her kitty cowboy shirt. I mean, come on now. Uh, anyway, regardless of our fashion sense, we came together and fell in love because I was attracted to her. She was beautiful to me. And, and that's, that's not what we were to God at all. And yet he pursued even more. In fact, church, how far did he go to chase after you? He put on flesh. He lived as a man. And he died on the cross to win you. This is God's love. This is God's love. And again, not just the day you were saved. I'm talking about it's true today. He is pursuing. God's love is pursuing even when we are disgusting. And lastly, this, write this down as well. God's love is husbandly even when our love is whorish. God's love is husbandly, even when our love is whorish. I got to admit, it was hard to put that in my sermon. It's hard to preach that even now as the words are coming out of my mouth. That just seems so hard, so hard to say. And I wouldn't have said it unless the text said it, and the text did say it. So if the text says it, then I can't not say it. Are you tracking? So I've got to use that terminology to describe this because it does describe us. Our sin, our love for God, I should say, our love for God is too self-focused. Our love for God is too shallow. Our love for God is too fickle. And yet his love for us is husbandly. Now I'm getting that from the text. And we're going to just dive in now and just kind of march verse by verse through chapter 2. We'll hop back into chapter 3 in a minute, but I want you to see chapter 2, verse 16. And I just want to walk through this together so you see where this is coming from. So he says in verse number 16, and in that day declares the Lord, you will call me to see it, my husband. And we look down at 19, it's just so clear in the text. Look at 19, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and in mercy. It's a beautiful picture of God's love in, in, in a marriage setting to us. And it's beautiful. So I want to I talk about God as the husband. Now, I'm always a little hesitant in this moment just because I know that some of the wives in this room, you got husbands, and some of those husbands aren't perfect. Don't give me a witness. I'm going to say, can I get a witness? I don't want you to do that to your poor husband. <laughs> Amen! So much actually, I know. No, uh, so, so this is like, this is not like your earthly husband who... It's probably trying, but not nailing it all the time. But think about the perfect husband, the perfect husband. This is what he is like. Two, men, here's what we need to do. We need to look at this and say, okay, because God tells us in Ephesians 5.25 that husbands should love their wives, do you know what, as Christ loved the church. And so how, what does that look like? Here's a beautiful picture. So I'm going to give you several different explanations of what a husbandly love looks like. And let's just learn from this together. Because first of all, this, a husband's love is tender. A husband's love is tender. Well, where are you getting that word? We're getting it right from the text. The text says that he allured her into the wilderness and spoke tenderly to her. And it's a, it's a gorgeous picture. 
And uh, so I need uh, Larry and Mary, can I borrow you for a little bit? You're going to be, here's what you're going to be. Uh, Mary, you're going to be the princess at the ball, okay? I was going to make Larry that, but I thought I probably should. So you're the princess at the ball. And Larry, come over here, Larry. You're Prince Charming. So this is our Prince Charming for the day. Take a look at this guy. I mean, come on. That's Prince Charming if I ever saw one. So here's Larry, Prince Charming. And here's the princess at the ball. And, and the ball is filled with all the pretty all the pretty girls are all there. They're all there. They're all hoping, ah, maybe he'll notice me. Maybe he'll notice me. But his eyes fall to her. And he says, wow, she's something else. And he makes his way over, and he takes her by the arm, and he leads her out to the garden. Don't you kiss her. She's going to kiss her right here in front of everybody. <laughs> Didn't even know her yet, Larry. Come on. Uh, and so takes her out to the garden, and, and he just wants to be, listen, this is the picture. He just wants to be alone with her, and he just wants to win her heart. And so he speaks tenderly to her. He says, you are so pretty. And such things, and just this beautiful, tender, caring moment. Thank you, guys. And uh, that's that. That's that. That is the picture that the um, Hosea is writing for us in this text. This is God to us. This beautiful, alluring, this tenderness. So it's there. It's also down in verse number 16. Let your eyes fall on 16 because it says, you will no longer call me, you will, you will call me my husband and no longer call me my Baal. You see that? You will call me my husband and you will no longer call me my Baal. If you remember, I said this a few weeks ago, but uh, Baal is actually translated husband 15 times in the Old Testament because the picture of, of Baal was as a stern husband to a, a beaten bride. And it becomes really evident when you think about the uh, Mount Carmel, when the prophets of Baal were trying to get Baal's attention, to get him to move, to get him to act, to get him to do something for them. And, and what he would do is he would run around, he would, fl- they would flail themselves, they would cut themselves, they'd throw themselves down on the ground trying to say, look at me, look at me, uh, hear us. And, and did Baal show up? No. And God says, That's not me. Listen, I'm not the God who demands performance out of you for me to act. Church, listen to me. I'm not the God who wants you to punish yourself so that I'll show up and do something for you. But I'm telling you, man, so many Christians view God that way. God, I have checked all the boxes, man. I go to church. I read my Bible, I pray, I I, I do all the things, and you haven't shown up for me like I wanted you to. And they have this view of God like he's this demanding and cruel husband. And what God says in this text is, that's not me. I am not Baal. I am your tender God. I am your husband who loves you. You don't have to work to gain my love. Jesus said it this way, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. How many Christians are laboring to earn God's grace? Don't do that anymore. Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy, are, are, who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you, church, rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly and hard, and you will find 
rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus. He's tender. But again, I ask, is that the way you view him? When you picture God, the most important thing about you is what you think in your heart about God and how do you picture him? Is he a tender, loving God who doesn't demand but just says, come to me. Come to me. I'm going to love you. This is true as well. Write this down. Husband's love is tender. Husband's love is exclusive. Uh, We're going to march right down the text here again. So now let's take a look at uh, the next verse. So we uh, saw verse 16. Now take a look at verse 17 of 2, Hosea 2, 17. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. So, okay, no more of those gods. They're done. It shouldn't surprise us that God wants that because the first commandment of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20 is this. And God spoke. All these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of Israel. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make for yourselves, not make for yourselves a car's image. And it goes on from there. But here's the idea. No other gods. And it ends this way. Um, For I, the Lord your God, am a church, a jealous God. He is a jealous God. It's repeated in uh, James chapter 4 where he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. Are you supposing it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns, church, here's the word, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God is jealous for us because it's just you, baby. It's just you. No one else. No one else. God loves you and he wants to be loved that same way. And I'm saying this to people today, and um, many of you wives today may have a hard time believing God is that exclusive because your husband hasn't been that exclusive. And men, I want to say to you, you, we need to commit again to the exclusive love of our wives. And listen, the, the world doesn't want you to do that. The world wants to put pictures and images in front of your face to make you long for and chase after, at least in your heart and your imagination, other loves and other women. And we have to be the kind of people who love our wives as Christ loved the church, and we say, no more. My heart, my eyes, my mind is only for you and you alone. Why? Because that's how Jesus loves me. Exclusive love. How about this? God's love is protective. God's love is protective. So we took a look at verse number uh, 17. Now I want you to take a look at verse number 18. Marching through the text here. And I will make for them a covenant on that day. With the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. Just kind of pause there for a second. So what this is actually doing is it's calling forward. It's this kind of a prophecy of what's to come in the new heavens and the new earth. Because the new heavens and the new earth, do you know this? The lion will lay down with uh, you know, the, the lamb. So, so we're going to get a snuggle of grizzly bear. That's what it's saying, okay? And, and the, the picture, though, in this text specifically, is that God is saying to her, look, I'm going to make the beast your friend. And you're going to be safe, even from the beast. And the real scary one is the creeping things, because spiders are scary. Can I get a witness? Good night. I hate them. If you think I'm bad, talk to Scott. Scott really hates spiders, not just Scott. 
The point is, is that nothing's going to get to you, honey. Nothing's going to get to you. Nothing's going to get to you. Now, keep reading in verse number 18. It's just so, so beautiful. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from your land, and I will make you lie down in safety. Listen, God's love is protective. A husband's love is protective. God's got you. God's got you. Um, so this week, uh, we've got a, our new coupon payment book for our house payment, and it went up again. It, it, so buying our house just got a little more expensive for us. And by the way, so did groceries and gas and electric and you name it, right? And just like, like man, it feels like everybody's after my money. Now, I wish I could say to you that when Courtney said, Jamie, our house payment went up again, I said, listen, sweetheart, we're just going to trust Jesus. That's what we're going to do. Let's just bow down and pray right now. We're going to be okay. Jesus is God. I didn't say that. I didn't freak out too much, but in my heart, I'm like, oh, man, really? I just refinanced. I just went through this. Now it's like, come on. And we have a tendency to fear and to worry. And yet Jesus says, I clothe the grass of the field. And Jesus says, a sparrow doesn't fall unless I know about it. And if I care for the grass and I care for that, I want to care for you. And he cares for us. Do you believe it? Do you know it? His love is a protective love. So I'm I'm trying to also take these things and apply it to husbands, and I want you to just kind of bear with me for a second as I do this, men. Uh, your, your wife needs to feel protected. She needs to feel protected by you. And um, I got to do better at this, so you guys pray for me. Like every night, Courtney says, hey, did you lock all the doors? And I'm like, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm supposed to do that every night. Why don't you want me to lock all the doors so she can feel Protected. Uh, if I can go here a little bit, but the same is true in the bedroom. Because of the sexual, intense culture that we have today, um, I'm not sure all women feel protected in that regard. And, and I, I just, this is a phrase that I, I told Courtney this, this week, and, and maybe you can help live this in your own life. No selfish hands are going to be laid on you ever. No selfish hands to be laid on you ever, including my own to up that protection that she needs to feel, to care for her. Husband's love is protective. I also want you to see this in the text. The husband's love is sacrificial. So now go to chapter three, if you would. Chapter three. And uh, okay, this is, this is interesting. So um, chapter three, verse one says this. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man who is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, even though they turn to other gods and they're after the host of Twinkies. Now, verse number two. So I bought her four, now check this list out, it's really interesting, 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lectic of barley. So, like, why that specific? That's a little weird, right? It's like, why get that detailed about how much you paid for her? Here's why I think God does this in the text. He didn't have enough. All he had was 15 shekels. And she was more expensive than that. 
So he had to go get some barley. He had to sell some things that he had. He had to give out of his own in order to buy her back. She was expensive to buy back. And yet he sacrificially gave to her to make that payment. And that's a husband's love. Sacrificial. In church, that is for sure God's love for you. Do you know that you were expensive to buy back from the slave market of sin? You were expensive. In fact, first, first Peter says this, conduct yourselves, I'll read the whole thing, and, and if, if you call him, call on him as father who judges impartially according to each own deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers and with perishable things, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. God loves you so much that Jesus, his blood was shed, and that's what purchased you. Now listen, Romans 8 says this. How will he, uh, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Your God is going to take care of you. So yeah, the house payment went up. Yeah, the bills are going up. God has promised to take care of me and I can believe it and I can trust it and I can feel that deeply. Look back over this list. Throw that list up again if you would. All the ways that a husband's love is tender, is exclusive, is protective, it's sacrificial. This is God's love for you. And that's what you got to think about. See, again, the answer from the world to the church today is, hey, think more about yourself. Think more about yourself. But here's the truth. That's not where the hope lies. The hope is not in you thinking more about yourself. The problem is not that we don't think enough about ourselves. That's not the problem. The problem is we think about ourselves too much. So let's spend more time thinking about God who really loves us and less time thinking about us. Now, what I want to do today, if I can end this way, I want to end by praying over you a prayer that Paul prayed for his people in the book of Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter uh, 3, and I'm going to read for you and kind of read over you Ephesians 3, 14, because here's my prayer for you. Was that all clear from the God's word? Let me just ask this. Does God love you? Do you believe it? It's going to be easy to say today. The enemy is going to attack. It's going to be harder to live tomorrow. So because I know it's hard, because I know it's hard, and because I know how important the church is, which is really what chapters 3, 7 through 13 is saying, the church is important. Here's verse number 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, listen, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. 
So, Father, I just pray that over Redemption Bible Church this morning. Help us to, yes, know it and affirm it on a Sunday morning. But, Father, help us to live it all throughout the week, failures and all. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you are loved.